0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you here. And I, I've got to start off this morning by just giving a big shout out and a thank you to all of you who made a night to shine possible. Thank you for volunteering, showing up, loving, serving, just being the hands, the heart of Jesus. Can we just celebrate what a great night that was? I'm already looking forward to next year and getting paired up with another buddy, because it was just an amazing night for me, and I saw everybody having a great time. And listen, if you see David Diener, please give him a big special thank you. Uh, This was his onus. He's the one that had the dream for this and ran with it, and uh, Tyler and Taylor and Janet really came alongside of him and helped a lot. Um, So it was a team effort. If you see one of them, really say thank you, and thank you as well for giving up your night, giving your heart and of yourselves to make a very special night for a very special group of people. All right, I'm going to ask you a question this morning that I want to mull around in your brain for just a minute, and here's the question. If you could ask God to do something in your life right now with full knowledge that he would do whatever you asked him to do, what would your request be? Some of you say, without a doubt, Solomon, it would be my marriage. It's hanging on by a thread. And unless there's divine intervention of some sort, it's not going to end well. Some of you would say, Solomon, I've been at odds with one of my children or a family member for years now. We haven't talked, words were said, feelings were hurt. And I need a God movement to somehow bring hearts together that have been apart for so long. Some of you might say, Solomon, it's my health. I go to the doctor, they tell me there's nothing wrong with me, but I know my body and there's something going wrong and I don't feel like the way I used to. I, I need God's healing touch. Others of you might say, Solomon, I feel like I've been living in this dark cloud of of gloom, anxiety, and depression now for a long time, and I just want to enjoy life again because I haven't been able to lately. Some of you say my request would be because I've never had it. I just want one good friend. I want God just to bring in my life one good friend or a group of friends that I can just be real with, and they love me, and I love them because I've never had that in my life. Now, more important than the question of what would you ask God to do if you knew he would do what you ask of him is this question. Do you believe he is able to do it? Do you believe that he is able to do it so much so that you are regularly talking to him about what you want to happen in your life? There's a really touching story found in Mark's gospel about a dad who's got a son and his son is sick and his son is tormented physically and his son is tormented spiritually and he's got one big ask of God and that is heal my son. He's already taken him to the disciples and the disciples are like, man, we can't do anything with this. We're trying and trying. So the father says, I'm going to go to Jesus. So here's what happens in his conversation with Jesus. Here's what the father says to Jesus. Mark 9:22. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And here's Jesus' response If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Listen to me, folks. It's never a matter of God's ability. It's our ability to believe that God is able. That's the heart of the matter. So we're in this series called Dangerous Church. I want to ask you this morning, what would your life look like if not only God's power were available to run through your lives, but if you regularly experienced the power of God running through you. Because we all need power. We need power to have hard conversations. We need power to raise parents or to raise children in a world that's getting increasingly hard to raise children in. We need power to be the kind of spouse that we want to be and need to be. We need power sometimes just to get up and go to work and give the very best of ourselves. We need power when those seasons of life come in and it's dark and it's hard and nothing looks good. We need power just to press through. We need power when temptation comes knocking at our door looking very appealing, very attractive. We need power to be able to say no to that. So how do we get that power? Again, we're in a series called Dangerous Church where we're trying to peel back the layers of what is it that Jesus intended? What was his vision? What was his dreams? What was his hope for this community of people that he left on earth? Here's what I know. He didn't just come to establish a religious community, but he wanted that community to be marked by this idea that everyone is welcome in that community. See, we live in a world, as I told you in week one, where there's a lot of us's and them's. We divide people up between us and them generationally and racially and through gender and through politics and through religion. We've got a lot of us-thems. And we love the us's. We're very, very suspicious of the thems. And God doesn't have us-thems. God has people who matter to him. Which people? All people. How much do they matter to him? More than you could possibly imagine. So we want to be a community that reflects the heart of God, that reflects the ministry of Jesus, where everyone is welcome. But we also want to make sure that we're very honest about the fact, when we get together, that nobody is perfect. Because here's what I've noticed about myself and other people who follow God. If we're not careful, There can be this kind of pride or arrogance that slips into our life where we want to give the impression that we've got it all together and we're a little bit superior to other folk, right? And Jesus said, if that kind of heart is growing in you, you be very, very, very careful because that kind of heart is more dangerous and more dark than the heart that beats in the lives of people who are involved in even scandalous things. And so several of us came up front last week and we locked arms and we locked hearts together and we said collectively as a group, we don't ever want to give the impression that in order to come into this place that you've got to act like you've got your act all together. That we are just a messed up group of people and our regular cry, our regular prayer to God is God, please help us. We desperately need you. Nobody's perfect. And then I think the kind of dangerous church that Jesus had in mind when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, is a church, is a gathering, a community of people where not just everybody's welcome, not just where nobody's perfect, but where we believe that anything is possible. Anything's possible. And one of the keys to getting there, friends it's not in realizing how powerful we are, but how powerless we are and how reliant we are on the very power of God. So we've got a story we're going to look at today. Let me give you a background of the cast of characters, okay? it's a guy 75 years old named Abraham and his wife named Sarah, who's 65 years old. And if they had one request of God, if God would do something in their life, knowing that God would do it, you know what they would ask God for? They would ask God for a child. Because they knew the pain, the hurt, the heartache of infertility. And back in that day and time, infertility was a huge social and cultural stigma. So God appears before Abraham one day, and he says, Listen, Abraham, I'm going to do something in you, from you. I'm going to create this community, and the whole global community is going to be blessed through the offspring that comes through you. Abraham's 75 years old when this happens. Ten years go by, not a word from God. There's still no child. He's 85, his wife Sarah's now 65, so they decide to take matters into their own hands. Okay, Abraham, I'm going to let you spend a night with my handmaiden, Hagar. You go in and try to produce an offspring with her, because apparently I'm not part of God's plan for this offspring. So Abraham and Hagar get together. A child named Ishmael is created and born, but that was not God's plan. So God comes back to Abraham. And here's where our conversation picks up. Genesis 17:1. When Abraham was 99 years old, this is 24 years after the very first promise, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. You know what? God does something here with Abraham that's very, very special. He reveals something to him. He reveals one of his names. See, in the ancient world, in the Canaanite language, that that word L-E-L was just a generic word for God. And God says, I'm not just L, I'm not just God, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty, I am God Most Powerful, I am the God who can bend all creation to serve my purposes and my will, and Abraham, anything is going to be possible in your life as long as you stay connected to me. And I want you to notice that God doesn't say, okay, Abraham, what is it you want me to do for you? Here's what God says, Abraham, I want you to do something for me. I want you to walk faithfully. I want you to live blamelessly. I want you to obey me. I want you to put your agenda aside. And I want you to enter into life, into relationship with me, Abraham. And here's what God says, Genesis 17:2. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. This was an expression of deep submission, deep humility, and a way of Abraham saying, God, I accept your invitation to walk in community and fellowship with you. I will walk faithfully. I will walk blamelessly in your ways. And mind you... He does this even though 24 years earlier this same God promised him a child and he's still childless. Abraham still has the faith and the belief and the trust in God. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, has been kind of listening in to the conversation between what God is telling Abraham, and she hears God saying that when I come around to you this time next year, you will have a child. And she just laughs. Okay, because she's 89 years old and the whole thing's just comical to her. Genesis 18, 10. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And there it is. There's the million dollar question, both Old Testament and New Testament, That if you want to be connected to God, you have got to come to terms with this question. And it takes some thought. Because if the answer to that is yes, there are some things that I believe to be too hard for the Lord, then it really doesn't matter how well I'm making things go in my life through my own power or even my own dumb luck. If I believe in my heart of hearts that there is some things that are too hard for the Lord, the only result of that is going to be despair. Because I've got no one else to help me when the chips are down. But if the answer to that is no, I don't believe there's anything too hard for the Lord, then on the opposite side, it doesn't matter how grim and bad and terrible things get in life. Because the only result that that can get you, the only destination you can go with that is that of ultimate hope. Because nothing's too hard for the Lord. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The resounding answer in Scripture is no. And a few months later, Sarah starts waking up saying, Look out, Abraham, I got a puke. And this doesn't happen just one morning. It happens several mornings. Then one night they're in bed, about midnight, she says, Honey, can you go down to the corner store and get me some dill pickles and Rocky Road ice cream? Because I don't know why the two of those just sound fantastic together right now. Would you go get me that for me? And by the way, when you're there, pick up a bigger size of yoga pants because my ones right now are just getting a little too tight. And after about Nine months of that, lo and behold, she finally gives birth to this child named Isaac, which means laughter. Genesis 21:6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a child? yet I have borne him a son in his old age. In other words, I should be in a nursing home, and here I am nursing a child, right? Come on, that's funny, right? (laughs) Nursing home, now nursing a child. Just the, the, the perplexity of that. Is anything too hard for the Lord? For El Shaddai, God Almighty, God Most Powerful, Let's investigate that for a moment, because here's what I'm convinced of. The writers of Scripture, that in their minds, and in their imagination, and in their experience, they were just gripped with this idea that nothing is too hard for the Lord. And they give story after story after story after story. Starting with Moses, as he pins out Genesis 1-1, showing us that God created everything from nothing in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, I know that some people of faith are very anti-science because they believe that in somehow science diminishes the greatness of God. I'm of the opposite belief, where I believe that science helps us reveal the very splendor and the glory of God. See, what science wants to call the singularity, the origin the basis of everything we have a name for that singularity we simply call him el shaddai god that this god through his spoken word was was able to put into existence whole galaxies And supernovas and quasars and red giants and blue giants and planets and stars. Do you know how many stars that we've calculated to believe that El Shaddai has created in the known universe? Let me show you a number. I don't even know what to call that number. All I know is that it's nine and 21 zeros. That's how many stars we believe to be out there. And then, on top of that, our best indication based upon the Hubble telescope showing us the furthest galaxy in our known universe is so far that it's 13.3 billion light years away. That means that traveling at 186,000 miles per second, it takes that light billion years to get from that galaxy to where we can actually visibly see it where we are. So as a point of reference, our sun is 93 million miles away and takes eight minutes for its light to get here. That takes 13.3 billion light years. You know how far 13.3 billion light years is in miles? Let this rack your brain for a minute, okay? Light travels in one year almost 6 trillion miles in the universe. So if you have your calculator, I don't think your calculator will even figure this number, 6 trillion times 13.3 billion. That's how many miles it is to the furthest galaxy that we've been able to detect. So I believe, as the psalmist says in Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They show us the wisdom, the intricacy, the beauty, the splendor of the mind of the one that we call El Shaddai. God all-powerful. And he thinks up these little creatures that we interact with here on the planet. Little honeybees and blue whales and elephants and little caterpillars that inch along. And God is so closely and personally and intimately connected to his creation that Jesus said that the moment that a sparrow falls out of its nest, God knows it and he cares about it. That's our God. Our God who created everything out of nothing. Do you know what else this God has the power to do? He has the power to to stop the unstoppable. When his servant Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, God has the capacity to stop very hungry lions from eating what they see to be a very juicy man. When God's servants Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace, God has the power to stop the fires from even scorching the smallest bit of them. So much so that when they're pulled out of the fire, they don't even smell like smoke. When God's children need to cross the sea, he divides the waters and walls them up on each side so that they can walk through on dry land. When they come across the walls of Jericho, which look impenetrable by human standards, God reduces them to dust in a matter of seconds. God can stop a storm through a word. He can stop a giant through a slingshot. He has stopped whole armies through blinding them and bring chaos, confusion, to where they turn the swords on one another. He can stop the sun in the very sky and keep it from setting to give his people time to accomplish what they need to on earth. He gave Esther courage. He gave Joseph insight and humility. He gave Moses leadership. He gave Aaron eloquence. He gave Samson strength. He gave Solomon wisdom. He gave David a heart after his own heart. And God has the power to humble the mighty. When Pharaoh walked the earth thousands of years ago, thinking that he was all puffed up and the strongest man here in the known world, and then God sent 10 plagues over his empire, and in a moment he was deflated and he relented. Another king, named Nebuchadnezzar, was out one night, and he was just overlooking this kingdom that he had overseen being built, kind of like we do from time to time. We look over our own little personal kingdoms and say, hmm, pretty good job with that, and To quote Nebuchadnezzar, here's what he said Is this not the great city of Babylon, which I have built? God thinks, "Mm, I need to give you a lesson in humility. So here's what scripture says he did He took away Nebuchadnezzar's sanity. Nebuchadnezzar says, the the Bible says, from that point on, lived like a wild animal. He ate the grass of the field. He slept outside to where the dew would collect on his body. His hair grew like eagle's feathers. His fingernails grew like an animal's claws. And this man who was once king overlooking his empire is now outside on the grass eating like one of the cows. Seven years later, God restores his sanity and Nebuchadnezzar never again gave glory to himself. Nebuchadnezzar said, All glory and honor and praise to the one true God. God has the power to humble the mighty. God has the power to speak through any means, folks. He spoke to Moses through a burning bush. He spoke to Belshazzar through handwriting that appeared on a wall. He spoke to Elijah and the prophets of Baal through fire that came down from heaven. He speaks through visions and dreams. He speaks through signs and wonders. Goodness grief, folks, he actually spoke through a donkey one time. Showing he'll get the message across any way he has to, and he still speaks today through his written word to those who are willing to draw near to listen. But of all God's demonstrations of power, Where we see it the clearest is when this man, Jesus, shows up on planet Earth, born in a manger, becomes a teacher, a rabbi, a carpenter, and now the world sees power. They see a man who is able to forgive sins and bring people the hope of new life. They see one who is able to take blind eyes and make them see again and deaf ears and make them hear again and mute vocal cords and make them sing and talk again and lame legs and they can walk again and hard hearts and they become soft again. And he defies the laws of physics and he walks on water and he he takes water, that same water, and he changes up the chemical compound and he goes from H2O to the best tasting wine anybody's ever had. And one day he takes five loaves and two fish and is able to use it to feed 5,000 people and have more left over than what he even started with. And he's able to forgive his executioners as they kill him. And he's able to rise from his own death through the glory and the power and the praise of the Father. That's how able he is. That's right. And after his resurrection, before he ascends back to the Father, he goes to this ragtag group of people called his disciples. They didn't have any money, they didn't have any power, they didn't have any influence, they didn't have any status, they didn't have really any means to make that big of a mark in the world except for the fact that Jesus told them, I'm going to go, but after I go, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And 50 days later, in the upper room, they got power. And this power was so great and unbelievable that wealthy people became very, very generous with their money, so that it says there was not anybody who had needs. And people who were racist and sexist tore down their, their walls of ethnicity and gender, and they started to see one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And people who were very timid and shy and fearful became very bold and they proclaimed the message of Jesus even at risk of their own lives, persecution, or death. And the least of these got honored And the sick got healed, and the gospel got preached, and hard hearts got turned to Jesus. And God was able to to not use the internet, or cell phones, or telephones, or televisions, or social media, or email, or Twitter, or or messages, or FaceTime, or any communicative tools. And yet God was able to get the good news of Jesus to the furthest corners of the known world. And if I wasn't in a church of Christ, somebody would probably say amen by now. Because that's good news. That's our God, that nothing is too hard for him. And here's what scripture says. I don't know if you believe it or not. Paul did. Now to him. Who is able? Again, it's about his power. It's not about our power, it's his power. Now, to him who is able to do, say this word with me, immeasurably. What does immeasurably mean? You can't what? You can't measure it, right? (laughs) It's huge, it's beyond measuring. He's able to do immeasurably more. Then all we ask or imagine, even in our wildest dreams, God says, I can do better than that. According to his power, that is at work where? Within us. We are the vessels, the conduits of his power. It's not our power, it's his power in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know why Paul could write that? Because Paul prayed bold prayers. Paul believed that anything was possible to anyone who believes. Paul believed that nothing is too hard for the Lord. I love the story the late Paul Harvey told about a little boy and his mom who were going grocery shopping one day. And his mom told him before they went in the store, she said, Listen, I'm just going to run in here to get a few things to make dinner tonight. We are not getting any cookies, so don't even start with me. They get inside the store, she's pushing him around the cart, they eventually come to the cookie aisle and they go down the cookie aisle and he couldn't help himself, he says, mom, can we just get some chocolate chip cookies tonight? She said, listen, I told you no, don't start. They keep making their way down a couple more aisles and he he says, mom, can we we please get some chocolate chip cookies? She says, do you want me to pull you out of this cart and spank you in front of everybody? Because I will if you ask me that again. Finally, they make their way up to the checkout, and the boy realizes his window of getting chocolate chip cookies is coming very, very short, okay? So he gets very desperate. According to Paul Harvey, he stands up in this cart, and at the loudest he can say it, he says, in the name of Jesus, can we please get some chocolate chip cookies, Now listen, I don't know if the other customers were convicted or they were just so amused, but what I do know is that mom went home with over a dozen chocolate chip cookies (laughs) in her cart. And you know what that boy got? More than he could possibly dare to ask or imagine, right? In the name of Jesus, may I, can I, Will you in the name of Jesus? So here's the question. It's the same question we started with, same question we're going to end with. If you could ask God to do something in your life right here, right now, today, no matter what it is, what is it that you would ask of Him to do for you? When you came in today, you received a little box. I hope everybody got their box. If somebody didn't get a box, here in just a few moments, you'll have an opportunity. We've got a table full of them, right, when you come through these doors, or so you can just go up and grab one, okay? We've got something we want you to do with this box. Here in just a moment, we're going to sing a few songs. We're going to sing the song, Oceans, to start off with, and I just want that song to be a time for you to think and pray, and contemplate, and look in the deep part of your life, like, what is it that I would really like to ask God for? doesn't matter how big, how audacious, or the scope of it doesn't really matter. What is it you need right here, right now, where you're at in life? Maybe it's a family member who needs Jesus, and you don't ever, ever, ever see them coming to Jesus. Maybe it's a health issue you're going with. Maybe it's a career that you just hate And you want something more fulfilling, more purposeful in your life because you just can't stand going to work every day. Maybe it's an addiction that you have, a habit that seems to have control of your life. Maybe for you it's a marriage that needs healed. Maybe for you it's an empty womb, just like Sarah, and you just want to pray, God, I I want my womb to have a child. Maybe it's even your hopes and dreams for what this place can be and that God would move here and that we would reach far more people than what we're reaching. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, though, I want you to think about it during that song. Then our second song that we're going to sing is the song, All Things Are Possible. All right? And this is when we want you to take a step today. We're going to ask that after you have your idea, what it is you need, we have inside this box a little post-it note, okay? And thank you to my wife and my children who spent the better part of yesterday evening, stuffing 800 boxes with Post-it notes and getting everything ready for today. But you should have a number of pens in the pews in front of you, or I know a lot of you ladies carry pens in your purse. So what we want you to do is just take the Post-it note, unfold it, and just write whatever it is. Again, however big, however small, but here's the requirement. Don't put anything in there Unless you really believe in your heart of hearts, that anything is possible to the one who believes. Just leave it blank, set it down, and put it down. Because this requires faith. Scripture says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we've got kind of to come before him believing that he not only can do, but wants to do for us the things that we ask of him. So when we play our second song, that's what I'm just going to ask, that you take your paper with your requests on it that you've written on there, you put it in your box, and then you just come and you lay it up here, kind of like you see some boxes up here already, and you just lay them up here on the stage. This side or that side over there, because what we're going to do this week is we're going to have some kids come into the church, and we're going to build an altar, or a couple of altars out of our prayers, Oftentimes in scripture, we see the people of God building an altar from what God has done so they don't forget, here's how God moved, here's what God did, we want to remember this, here's what we want to do. We want to build an altar anticipating what God is going to do, not what he has already done. Because God says, I want to do some things in your life, in your church. And although all of this is going to come to a culmination, you might want to write this down, March 3rd, it's a Sunday night, 6 p.m., We're going to throw open the doors of this church and we're just going to have a night of prayer. And we're going to pray for our nation and we're going to pray for our church. And you can pray for the needs that you bring. We're going to pray for whatever's in these boxes up here, okay? March 3rd, 6 o'clock, here at the church. We just want to reflect back to our God that we believe nothing is too hard for you. So, know this as well. After March 3rd, you're going to see these altars start coming down a little bit by little bit every week. And what that means is that each week at our staff meetings, Mondays at 10 o'clock, we gather to pray. And we're each going to start taking some of these after March 3rd, and we're going to pray specifically for them. So if you want it to be anonymous, I would not put your name on here. All right, we don't know anybody's handwriting in here, so you You have the safety of knowing. Nobody's going to be cryptic and say, who who wrote this, I wonder? You know, nobody's going to do that. We're just going to read it, and we're going to pray for you, okay? So just know that before you bring it up here, that it's going to get opened, and we're going to take your request to the Father along with you. So, again, don't take a step. Don't write it down unless you believe that anything is possible to him who believes, and nothing is too hard. For the Lord, when we get there, folks, that's when we'll really be a dangerous church. Won't you pray with me right now, Father? We thank you that you've given us ample evidence all throughout your Word to show that it's not a matter of your ability. It's never been about your ability. It's about our ability to believe you are able. It's about the greatness of our faith, not the greatness of your power. So, Lord, increase our faith. Help us to pray big, bold prayers. Prayers that you would move in our lives, in, in our marriages, in our families, in our country, in our community, in our church. Because you reign over it, Lord. And you're just wondering, when are my children going to start asking And right here, right now, Lord, we lay these at your feet knowing you're a gracious God who wants to give his children answered prayers. So thank you, Lord, for this time. We lay these at your throne in faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.